So uh, last week we were studying, um, we looked at the letter that was written to the church of Ephesus. We now are in the second division of the book of Revelation. We know that uh, it's divided into three parts, the things that's, which thou hast seen, the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter. Right now we're in the current division. Chapters two and three deals with the churches here on earth. And um, Jesus wrote seven letters to particular churches, um, particularly seven churches in Asia Minor. And, um, and we saw that there was a strategic reason why he picked those seven churches and put them in this order. Um, every church, every letter um, has kind of four things that you can take away from it. One, it is an actual church. Ephesus is an actual church. It's not there anymore. It's ruins now. But it was there. And um, obviously they didn't obey what the Lord had told them because that lampstand was removed because Ephesus is not even a place anymore. It's just ruins. Um, but it's an actual church that had a message to that specific pastor and the congregation. Um, we also saw that it, it was, there was a message for all the churches in the area because they passed the letters around. Um, and then we know that each letter also has a personal application. How do we know this? Because each letter says, for those that has an ear, let them hear. All right. And just reach up and touch your earlobe and you know you're qualified for this message. So and then also we saw that each letter had a prophetic principle to it. OK, that there was a that the Lord laid out you know, 2,000 years worth of church history based on the things that he was speaking to the letters about. Um, so in Ephesus, we saw that he, he wanted them to have devotion greater than doctrine. All right? Um, a personal application for that letter we see would be get our priorities straight. Amen? You know, how many know in ministry and, and being excited and the zeal of the Lord, it can take you and it can spread you thin. Amen. Um, I remember this one saying, um, oh, I don't know where it came from, but it was a great, great illustration. It was, um, I'm spread thin like, you know, when you, when, you, when you run out of butter on your toast and it just doesn't quite cover all the the areas of it that you wanted it to, you know, and you eat that, and it's just, it just didn't do it for you. It just didn't have enough butter, just dry. It was just spread too thin. And you can, you can, we can spread ourselves too thin in the ministry. And so God was calling the Ephesians to get their priorities straight. Let's get our priorities straight, amen? What's that? Is that where it was come? Yeah, that's, what was the exact saying he said? I'm spread thin like butter on bread. Amen. That's where that came from. I like that saying. And uh, sometimes, you know, if we get too many pans in the fire in ministry, we get spread too thin. And then what happens is that's where the that's where the dynamic switch where it comes. It goes from first love and devotion to the Lord into busyness. Amen. And nothing can drown out the fire of Jesus's love in your hearts quicker than busyness. In the church. Amen. So you got to figure out what the Lord wants you to do. He reminded him to go back to the first things. Remember the first things, those first things that God called you to do that made you excited, 
That's what he wants you to return to. And what is the overcomer's promise? He told them that they would eat of the tree of life. Amen? And that is the promise to the overcomer. Um, and so now that leaves us into the book of Smyrna. And, um, and that's where we're going to be starting off with tonight in Revelations chapter 2. And we're going to go and start at verse, verse 8. Praise the Lord. All right, Revelations chapter 2, verse 8. Let's read the whole letter, and then we'll talk a little bit about it together, okay? Revelations chapter 2, verse 8. Jesus speaking here, the letter's in red. He says, Now unto the angel of the church in Smyrna write, These things saith the first and the last, which was dead and is alive. I know thy works and tribulation and poverty, but thou art rich. He says, I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews and are not, but are, but are the synagogue of Satan. He says, Fear none of those things which you shall suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that you may be tried, and ye shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. He that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says unto the churches. And he that overcomes shall not be hurt of the second death. Wow. A lot of death in this book. Because Smyrna actually means death. Myrrh is the meaning of death. Myrrh is actually what they embalmed bodies with when they went to the tomb. Um, and Smyrna is a letter to the suffering church. A letter to the persecuted church. And the persecutions in early church history started probably around with Nero. Um, the heavy ones kicked in around about 100 A.D. to about 350 A.D. And, you know, there's persecutions, though, all over the world today. We have brothers and sisters in Christ who are modern-day Smyrna. You know, we have believers in the Middle East who are mutilated for standing up for Jesus. And um, it's a sobering thought. And it's why I don't really take our gatherings, I don't take them for granted. If anything, I count it an honor to gather with you here tonight, and as an honor and a testimony to Jesus, but also as a stand for those who can't stand. You know, we remember when churches were closing all over the country because of persecution. And it was persecution. People try to say it wasn't persecution, but it was persecution. And people took a stand. We took a stand. And we took a stand because there are brothers and sisters who are heavily handed. And... Um, And it's a, it's a message. He's not promising deliverance out of this letter. 
Nowhere does it say that they will be delivered from the tribulation, but he says, the very end, it says that they will not be hurt by the second death, and we'll learn what that is here in a minute. But you know, Jesus never promised the church that they would not have tribulation. As a matter of fact, he promised that they would have tribulation. Amen? Um, Paul said that we would have tribulation. Um, the Bible is, you know, people that get saved and come to church and then all of a sudden get hit with hard times. Their girlfriend leaves them or their parents, you know, tell, kick them out of the basement and tell them to get a job or, 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 they, or they get their car repossessed or all the different things and the trials and things like that that happen when somebody decides to go ahead and say, you know what, I'm not going to live ungodly anymore. I'm not going to cheat. I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to steal. You know, things start to, to get squeezed. Turn with me to 2 Timothy 3.12 real fast. What I say? 2 Timothy 3.12. Look at this. This is what Paul said. Now, here's a guy... Paul probably expected persecution because Paul per first persecuted the church. Amen? I mean, Paul persecuted the church, church, so I can imagine he probably thought, I'm kind of getting what I deserve, right? That might be what he, he might have been thinking because Paul was persecuted by his own brethren, by the Jews, beaten to death. The book of Acts actually records that he left his body. He was dead but came back to life, all right? Um, and that happened in Lystra. But he tells the church, he tells Timothy personally, who's a leader in a, in a church, who's pastoring, a young pastor in a local church. Look what he tells him in the 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12. He says, Yea, all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer what? Persecution. That's the byproduct of living godly in Christ Jesus. If you're not being persecuted, my question is, are you living godly? Or are you living in Christ Jesus? Because there's one thing this world hates is the name of Jesus. Everybody says God. Every sports athlete on TV Anytime they do something good, oh, I want to give glory to God. I just want to thank God. I would like to hear the guys get up and say, I just want to thank the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. I just want to give glory and praise to Jesus tonight for this touchdown. Because he's the creator of all things and he gave me breath. Amen. But, you know, everybody seems to believe in God. But Jesus Christ is God. And Paul says, if we live godly in Christ Jesus... We will suffer persecution. So he says unto the angel of the church in Smyrna, write these things who was the first and the last, which was dead and is alive. Remember, each, in the beginning of each letter, Jesus uses one of the identifiers that John saw in chapter 1 and in the vision at Patmos. And here he picks the one who is the first and the last, which is dead and is alive. How many times do you think that that is the first, he says, I am the first and the last? How many times do you think he says that in the Bible? Seven times. 
Three in Isaiah, four in the book of Revelation. You know, Isaiah and Revelation are, 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 are as another, as another book that really goes hand in hand. Isaiah speaks of the second coming of Jesus Christ. It speaks of his first coming. It actually also speaks of the millennial reign of Christ, the thousand-year reign of Christ. As a matter of fact, the book of Revelation, I heard a preacher say, the book of Revelation is like the grand central station where all the tracks of prophecy come together. All through the Bible, all the different prophecies of the scriptures all find their stop in the book of Revelation. Amen? And I thought that was kind of a cool little nugget. And so he says he is the one that was dead and is alive. So first of all, hey, promise, I was dead, but I came back to life, man. You know, the resurrection is truly the hope of the Christian believer. You know, we, we talk about we're glad we got our sins forgiven. Yeah, that's great. I'm glad I got my sins forgiven. But there's much more to it. The resurrection is where it's at. Amen? Because the resurrection proves that our sins are forgiven. Amen? It proves it. You say, what's the proof that your sins are forgiven when Jesus died on the cross? What's the proof that he forgave? That, you know, your sins are forgiven? Because God... It says he didn't count him. He proved that he was the Messiah, the one who forgives sins by raising him from the dead. That's Paul's gospel. So Jesus says, I was dead, but I am now alive. And, you know, we were talking about the, this, this word Smyrna comes from the word myrrh. And it's interesting how, remember what they gave Jesus in, at the stable? The Magi brought three gifts. What did they bring? Gold, frankincense, and myrrh, right? They brought gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Gold representing his royalty, his kingship. Frankincense representing his priesthood. All right? Frankincense was a spice of the priesthood. And then he also was given myrrh, which spoke of his prophetic office and foretold his death. Amen? So it was a prophecy of his death to come. But what's interesting in Isaiah chapter 60, when it talks about where the lion lays down with the lamb and he is reigning as the millennial king, there's only two articles that they bring to him. Gold and frankincense, but there's no myrrh. Why? Because he's alive forevermore. Amen. He's alive to be king and he's alive to be uh, the priest, the high priest of our salvation, but he's not dying again. So he, there's no need to bring myrrh, but in the millennium, they will bring gold and frankincense to him. Praise God. And in verse nine, just like every other letter, he says, I know thy works. You know, the Lord knows what you do for him. The Bible talks about the eyes of the Lord go to and fro across the earth. Revelations chapter 1 says his eyes are of a burning fire. Nothing can be hidden 
from the Lord. That's why I love singing um, here for you. You know, here my heart is open. You know, look, we can try to fake people out, but you're never going to fake God out. You can put on a church face that'll fool many, but you won't fool God. Amen. And that's why I love that song, because it just it lays my heart open to the Lord, even when I don't even feel like feel like it. Lord, here I am, man, you know, and uh, and the Lord sees our hearts. He sees our works. He knows what you're doing for him. He knows even when men do not know. The Bible instructs the Christian believer to do all things unto him anyway. You know, we're not to do our works as man pleasers, the Bible says. Don't do your works before men so you can get the attaboys, you know. Hey, good job, brother, good job. Well, you've received your reward. You know, do it under the Lord in secret, even if nobody's looking. Um, you know, I, I, I joke around with some of the guys in the church, you know, you ever meet those guys and the first thing you do when you, for the first five minutes, all you do is you get a self-resume of what they've done. That's not fellowship, man. You know, it doesn't, I don't know why we're living in a day. I was talking to Catherine about this. Have you noticed in media how much praise is given to men now? What's that word you called it, honey? Fawning? People are just uh, flattery. There's so much flattery now. There's so much of just, oh, you're so great. Oh, you're amazing. Oh, you're this. Oh, you're that. It's like they're never really talking about the actual subject. They're too busy singing praise to the person that they're interviewing. And I'll tell you what, I don't know about you, but I'm sick of it. It used to not be that way. I don't know what's happened, but we're living in the last days. That's what's going on. Where people are more and more getting conditioned. <coughs> They're getting conditioned to worship man. Amen. Why? Because the Bible says the son of perdition, the man of sin, the Antichrist, will come to the earth and he will demand worship. Just like Lucifer demanded worship in the realms of heaven, the man of sin will demand worship when he comes to earth. And I can see now people are being conditioned to, to worship men. Hey, you better watch out. You better, better watch out. Remember what happened to Herod when, when they said, Oh, he speaks like a god. He's amazing. He's wonderful. All of a sudden, man, he fell over dead. His guts split open and worms began to fall out of him. Wow, there's your God right there, all laid open, spread all over the ground. No, God's not going to put up with that stuff. He never has, and he never will. So, I don't know where I was when I was starting to go on to that little rabbit trail, but the works, the Lord sees all, all right? He knows your works. And also, he says here, he knows your tribulation and your poverty. Now that word tribulation there, that's not the great tribulation, but that is the trials and the tests, all right? The persecution, the things that you know 
when you decide to do things the right way at work and everybody looks at you with a funny eye or nobody wants to sit next to you in the break room because they think you're a goody two-shoes. Nobody wants to, you know, stand next to you in, at the water cooler. You know, why is that? That's tribulation. That's, that's, that's trial and persecution because you are living and doing things unto the Lord. You're not doing those things to please your boss. We're doing those things because Jesus puts it in our heart to do those things. Amen? Hey, I'm not receiving this persecution for Mr. Smith in the corner office. Are you kidding me? I'm doing this for Jesus. And if I have to sit alone in the break room because I got to do what's right before the Lord, well, so be it. But I'll tell you what, you sitting alone, it'll be for a season. Just for a season. And you wait. It'll start to turn because people are just testing to see what's really there. What do you really got? Are you just messing around? Once they see that you're for real, that's when things shift. That's when they start talking to you. That's when they start coming to you. Hey, what about this? Saw on the news here the other day. You think Jesus is coming? Da, 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 da. You know? Anyway. He said, and your poverty. Now, Smyrna was a very wealthy city. As a matter of fact, um, you know, we, taught, we saw last couple of weeks, Ephesus was the main port in the Roman Empire. But erosion started to come in the coast. And if you look now on a map, Ephesus, which was a coastal city, actually is about 20 miles inland now. And I was thinking about this the other day when I was reading up on the whole area there where the Lord, all these seven churches, they're all clumped together. But you know that area in uh, Asia Minor, that area of Turkey, is probably one of the most erosive coastlines in all the earth. The erosion that is in that whole area is, is really strong. It's, it's big. And it's kind of funny how the Lord, He puts a picture of churches... In a, in a coast that is eroding. It's kind of like the church. It's kind of, you know what I mean? And, uh, you know, you better beware of the guys out there that are trying to say that this thing is going to finish with a glorious, triumphant church where, where we, we overtake the earth. That's false doctrine, okay? That's kingdom now. That's people that don't believe in a millennium, okay? Those people that think like that, they fall into replacement theology where they think the promises to the Jews have been given to the church and God is no longer cares about what happens in Israel. You got to stay away from those type of guys. No, the Bible is very clear that there'll be a, there'll be a rapture of the church, the faithful, those that are looking for his appearing and they will be caught up together with him in the clouds. Amen? And then the rest of the make-believers will go into the tribulation. And they will not, it will not be like, oh, we're going to be wonderful and do... No, there'll be an apostate church who fall for the worship and the deceptions that have come from the Antichrist and the false prophet, which this book will talk about. 
All right. So, you know, it's a, you know, we got to we got to hang in there. We got to hold strong and we have authority while we're here on the earth. Okay, but just beware of those kind of guys, because that's how they used to think, you know, in Europe. And that's why we have the Holocaust. Because that's what Hitler thought he was doing. Hitler thought he was actually doing what the church taught. That the Jews should get theirs because they're the ones that put Jesus on, on the cross. Well, you're a bad Bible reader because the Bible says that that was all God's plan. Amen? Anyway, I digress. But it was an erosion, it's an erosion, there's a great erosion in that land, that's how I got there. So the church is on an erosion course, amen? Now, because of that erosion, Ephesus was the main port, but later on, Smyrna became the trading area, and it was a rich town, all right? But there was great persecution in Smyrna, because Smyrna, they had this tradition, or this this form of worship where, you know, each, each city had its own God, like its kind of famous God that it, was, that it would worship. And Ephesus, it was the Temple of Diana. Um, we saw that. Uh, we talked about that. Paul, as a matter of fact, got into a lot of trouble in Ephesus because when he started preaching the gospel, pe people got saved and they weren't buying their little Diana statues anymore. You know, the, the, the market was down. And uh, they got mad because they were losing money. You know? They got mad because Paul was getting people saved and they weren't bowing down to little silver Dianas. And so their answer was is to persecute him and kick him out of town. And uh, you, you could, you'll see that happen. People are like that. You start preaching the gospel. You start, you know, messing with their business. They're going to put the squeeze on you. But the Lord, he knows what he's doing. And Jesus saw Smyrna's works. And Smyrna had this tradition to where um, they would worship Caesars. Um, There's a thing called Caesar worship. And, um, and what would happen is... Is, uh, it says, Smyrna readily accepted Caesar worship. In 196 B.C., um, the Smyrnans erected a temple to what is known as De Roma, or the goddess of Rome. And they subsequently built one to Tiberius. And the worship of the emperor in, in Smyrna was compulsory. It was compulsory. Each year, a Roman citizen had to burn a pinch of incense on the altar to acknowledge publicly that Caesar was supreme Lord. And in return, each citizen received a formal certificate that he had done so. Doesn't that sound like it's hitting home a little bit? So what happens, what had happened was, the church would not participate in this. They, weren't, they knew Jesus was Lord, he was their king, and they weren't going to offer just a pinch of incense on the altar to pledge their allegiance. It's just a pinch. You can hear him today. Julius, come on, brother. Come on, what are you, what are you suffering for? Why, 
Why are you not working? Uh, they won't hire me. Why not? I won't do the, I don't have a certificate. Well, come on, Jews. It's just a pinch of incense. Just do the pinch and get the job. No, I'm not going to do that. So, that's why Jesus said, I know your poverty. And this is not just like regular poverty, like they don't, you know, you got, you don't have a lot. This is like beggar poverty. There's two types of Greek words for poverty there. And this is the one that means they're on the streets. They have nothing. So these guys, because of this tradition, they lost it all. They lost their businesses. Some of them probably lost their marriages, their relationships. Everything was dashed because they wouldn't just offer a pinch of incense. But you know, it was more to a believer. It's more than just a pinch of incense. It's betrayal. Amen. Okay? To a believer, to the believer, it's, it's more. It's much more. As a matter of fact, listen to the words of Polycarp. Polycarp was actually the bishop in Smyrna who John, he was actually a disciple of the apostle John. And John asked him to go be the, the pastor in the church in Smyrna. And so Polycarp refused. And this is what Polycarp said before he was uh, put to death. He said, 80 and six years have I served him and he never did me wrong. How can I now speak evil of my king who has saved me? And the old man was burned at the stake on the Sabbath day. Yeah, why? Because when you realize, when you've walked with Jesus all your life and he's never failed you, how many can testify? I may have had questions I may have had seasons of where I don't understand, but I'll tell you what, when I got on the other side of it, I re he has never failed me. Jesus has never failed me. So to me, it's more than a pinch. And it was more a, than a pinch to them. And so he also said, I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews and are not. You know, we see this statement quite a bit here in the letters to the churches. You know, Jesus had it out with the Jews. Those that say they are Jews and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. Let's go over to John chapter 8 real fast. John chapter 8, verse 44. Let's go to verse 33. And they said, they answered him, we be Abraham's seed, and we're never in bondage to any man. How sayest you that you shall, make, you shall be made free? See there how stuck up they are there? And Jesus answered and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, whoever commits sin is the servant of sin. Jesus talking about, I've come to set you free from your sin. They're trying to say, we're not, a, we're not in bondage. Oh, yes, you are. More than you really know. Verse 35. And the servant abideth not in the house forever, but the son abideth forever. And if the son therefore shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. Amen. I know that you are Abraham's seed, but you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. 
Notice the difference there? It's not, it's not your natural father's seed that's important. That's not who, what makes you who you are. The seed of man is not what God is looking for. What God is looking for is the supernatural seed, and that's his word, amen? The new birth. If they had the word, the new birth in them, they would not be trying to kill him. Man, let's back that up a minute. Verse 38, I speak that which I have seen with my father, and you do that which you have seen with your father. They answered and said unto him, Abraham is our father. And Jesus said unto them, if you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. Right? Remember what the works of Abraham? Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him as righteousness. Verse 40, but now you seek to kill me, a man that has told you the truth, which I have heard of God, this did not Abraham. Wow, that's powerful. Verse 41, but you do the deeds of your father. So in other words, Abraham's not your father, but you are doing the deeds of your father. Then said they to him, oh, we be not born of fornication. We have one father, even God. Now this was, a, this was like a, a tongue-in-cheek about Jesus's birth line. And so verse 42, Jesus said unto them, if God were your father, you would love me for I proceed forth and came from God. Neither came I of myself, but he sent me. Why do you not understand this speech? Even because you cannot hear my word. You know, why don't you understand? Because you're not hearing. You ever had conversations with people? And they're not hearing you. They're not listening. Because they already have an answer, a rebuttal going on in their head. They're already working out the rebuttal before you're even finished speaking. Why? Because they don't want to hear. Because they've already made up their mind what they want to believe. And they'll run to and fro to find those that back them up in their belief. And the Bible said, as Christian believers, we're not to be like that. We're not to have itch. That's what the Bible's talking about, itching ears. Itching ears are ears that run after what you want to hear. I want what I need to hear, Amen. not what I want to hear. Amen? I like to be told when I'm wrong. It hurts. God knows it hurts when someone tells you you're not doing right. You know, it doesn't feel good. But I tell you what, if you'll take it, if you'll take it, just let the Spirit just saturate you with it, you'll go far in the Lord. He says, why do you not understand my speech? Because you cannot hear my word, because you are of your father, the devil. He's talking to Pharisees and Jews here. Who's their father? The devil. Why is the father their devil? Because it's his word they're listening to. It's his word. And he says, you're of the lust of your father. The lust of your father you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth because there is no truth in him. 
When he speaks a lie, he speaks of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. The devil can't tell the truth. Why? Because he's a father of lies. All right? There's no truth in him. He was a murderer from the beginning. Why did they want to kill Jesus? Because they're from their father, the devil. Because he's a murderer, therefore they are becoming murderers. Amen? And so, and because, verse 45, I tell you the truth, you believe me not. Verse 47, he that is of God hears God's words. He that is of God hears God's words, man. It's all about the words of God. The battle, the battle in these last days will be for this word. The battle of the Bible. That will be the battle in the last days. Hath God said. It was hath God said in the beginning of Genesis chapter 3, and it'll be hath God said in the last days before the return of the king. Men will challenge, has God said that? And why? Because the truth's not in them. Why? Because they're of their father, the father of the devil. And that's what the Lord is talking about here. Back to, back to Smyrna. He says, you do not fear them. I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews and are not, but they are of Satan, the synagogue of Satan. Fear none of those things which shall, you shall suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison that you may be tried and shall have tribulation ten days. Now, some people think that these ten days represent a period of time. You can see that sometimes in, in, in the Hebrew language. You know, we've talked about the Shabbat, um, in Sabbath. These are words like, you know, seven, seven sevens. Um, you know, in England, they have a word called the for, a fortnight, which means two weeks. So it could be that. But there's a lot of Bible commentators that say these 10 days represent the 10 periods of persecution that came upon church history. And um, to honor their names, I'm going to read those, these to you real quick. Um, Rome persecuted the early Christians, starting with Nero, when he had Paul beheaded in A.D. 68. Peter was also crucified upside down by the emperor Nero. Domitian was the next one. And through 95 and 96, he's the one that had John exiled to Patmos. During the years of 104 to 117, the emperor Trajan, or Trajan, burned Ignatius at the stake. Ignatius was another great pastor in the area of Asia Minor. We spoke about Polycarp. Emperor Marcus, in once, from 161 to 180, was the one that had Polycarp burned to a stake because he would not worship the emperor. From 200 to 211, Emperor Septimus had Irenaeus burned at the stake. He was another great pastor in Asia Minor. 
From 235 to 237, Emperor Maximus killed two great pastors named Ursula and Hippolytus. 249 through 251, Emperor Decius killed thousands of Christians. Emperor Valerian, 257 to 260, thousands more were killed. Emperor Aurelian from 270 to 275 killed thousands of Christians. And the worst one of all, recorded as the worst persecution in church history, Diocletian from 303 to 313, he also killed thousands and thousands of Christians. Five million believers died for Christ during this period, according to the Fox's Book of Martyrs. Five million. The 20th century murdered more Christians than all other centuries put together. Joseph Stalin himself murdered somewhere between 30 to 40 million of his own people, and Adolf Hitler killed millions. And the Bible says this is just a token of the things that will come in the last days when the Antichrist is given full reign on planet Earth. I mean, these persecutions happened when the Holy Spirit was in the Earth abiding in the church. Can you imagine what is going to happen in the Earth when the Holy Spirit with the church is removed from the Earth? Can you, you think it was evil then? Imagine the the onslaught of evil that is going to come upon the earth when the church is no longer here to withstand the beast or the mystery of iniquity, as Paul calls it. So he says, Be faithful in this tribulation unto death, and I will give you a crown of life. The Bible talks about five crowns specifically. I think there's more. I think we discussed this in our study for James. James chapter 1, verse 12 tells us of a crown of life. Um, this is the martyr's crown, those who suffer for the sake of the name of Jesus. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8 speaks of a crown of righteousness. This is the crown for those who love his appearing, for those that are found waiting for the appearance of the Lord. You know, too many people I've spoke to want Jesus to wait. Wait, Jesus. Wait till I get my, finish my degree. Wait till I actually get a job with that degree. Wait, Jesus, until I get married. Wait, Jesus, until I have my first child. Wait, Jesus, until I save up and I'm able to buy that car I've been after or that boathouse or all these material things. Wait, would you just wait, Jesus? No. Jesus is not going to wait. The question is, Will you be looking for his appearing? 1 Peter, this is one of my favorite crowns. It's called the crown of glory. This is the shepherd's crown for those who feed the flock, for pastors that are faithful to preach and teach the word of God to their congregations. A crown of glory is promised to them. And this should encourage people in the ministry to not forsake the scriptures. Paul told Timothy, forsake not the public reading of the scriptures. You know, let's not abandon God's word for trinkets and gadgets 
that, that please the eye. A crown incorruptible, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, 25. A crown incorruptible is for the, those that, that, who press on. A crown that's incorruptible is for those that don't give up, like everyone sitting here tonight. The very fact that you're here in this room shows me, but more importantly shows Jesus, shows the Father that you're not quitting. Because I'll tell you what, there's a lot of people at Cinemax tonight. There's a lot of Christians at a basketball game or a football game or a whatever game. You know, there's a lot of people out there that miss the fellowship of the saints consistently because they've just given up on church. I'll tell you, you want to get me hot. I hate that thing. Come to us. We're the church for those that don't like church. What the heck is that? It is stupid, Pastor. You know, and people give up on the church because they give up on God. They won't say it, but they've given up on God. You give up on God. You give up on God, you give up on God's people. You've heard me say before, man, I need you. I need to see your face at least twice a week. Or I'm done for. I'm history, man. I need the church. I need to be with God's people. And the last crown is a crown of rejoicing, according to 1 Thessalonians 2.19. I think of Brother Dan when I hear this crown. It's called the crown of rejoicing, or it's the soul winner's crown. Amen? The soul winner's crown. The crown of rejoicing. You know why it's a crown of rejoicing? Because on that day, when we're standing with the Lord, and each person is coming through, and you see the people that have made it because you've been faithful to testify of the beauty and the love of Jesus Christ. That's going to be rejoicing unspeakable. That's going to be one of the greatest rewards you could ever receive is to know that someone made it into heaven because you were bold enough, caring enough to share the love of Jesus Christ. That you weren't afraid of resentment, ridicule. That you said, I don't care what people think, if their soul... You know, the Bible says, he that wins souls is wise. The only thing that you can take to heaven with you is I can't take my computer and all my beautiful music gadget gears and I love them so. But there ain't a single thing from Apple or Behringer or Sure that's going to heaven. The only thing that can go to heaven with me is the souls that I win for Christ. Amen. The only thing that can go to heaven with you is the souls that you win for Jesus. Amen? And so then he says, you will receive a crown of life. And he, the promise, he that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says unto the churches. For he that overcomes shall not be hurt of the second death. Last verse. Go to Revelations 21, verse 8, please. 
Revelations chapter 21, verse 8. And let's start with verse 7, please. He that overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But the fearful, the unbelieving, the abominable, and murderers, and whoremongers, and sorcerers, and idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. And go over to verse 14 of chapter 20. Chapter 20, verse 14. It says, Death and hell were cast into the lake of fire, This is the second death. So what is the second death? The lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. Remember, if you're born once, you die twice. If you're born twice, you die once. Amen? What does that mean? If you're born once, your body's going to die and your soul will be separated from your body. That's the first death. And then your soul will go into the lake of fire, and that is the second death. But if you're born twice, Judy A. Jones birthed Jeremy Lane Moore on August 2nd, 1970, in Long Beach, California, at 1.15 in the afternoon. But Jeremy Lane Moore was born again in March 1994, there's two births. And this body will die once. But because we have put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, we are overcomers. And I do not have to fear the lake of fire because I've been born again. I've been born again. Amen. He's my father. And that Father, that precious loving Father, and that beautiful loving Savior is not going to let this guy go to the lake of fire. Praise God. Thank you, Pastor. Pastor.